Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter. Good morning, Stacey. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm doing well. I am uh, sitting at home. The sun is shining. It is a bit chilly yet still, but we are looking at least a bit closer to spring here in North Carolina, so I'll take that. So, How about you? Are you home this week? Uh, yeah, I was in New York City all last week. Had an amazing trip uh, that, that I should tell you about a little bit. But here it's um, it's typical rainy season weather, which means um, everybody you meet has seasonal affective disorder. Uh, the sun hasn't been out for a while, but yeah. it's an improvement over New York City, where where it was in the teens, and and. I tried to tell people that it's inhospitable when it's in the teens and, and they should move to a warmer climb. But, but New, York, New Yorkers are not like that. New Yorkers are tough. Yeah. That's right. New Yorkers believe that that is part of the charm of New York is the fact that they can make it through a, a zero-degree wind chill weather day and still come out smiling, right? Or at least grumbling. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, a, a smile and a grumble are related things there. I, I went to this really wonderful uh, get-together put on by an operation called Mindemic Labs, which is the, uh, the, a project of a guy named Michael Canisto, who is the head of global talent at... Um, these days, he's working for Calvin Klein Brands, and he used to, uh, he used to be the head of talent in a perfume company big, big, big perfume company. And so the way that he thinks about people is different than somebody in technology or somebody in retail because he's looking for um, um, people with skills that are ephemeral, that are, that are, is your design interesting or can you smell the perfume in a certain way? These, these sorts of things that are not... Um, typical ways that you hire people. And he pulled together a group of uh, 10 um, folks from around the industry to do two days of scenario planning and, and to think about the future of work and the future of talent. And it was a, an extraordinary session. Met some well, really interesting people. Well, and it's an interesting thought that you know the the idea that these skill sets that are that are that are not as as sort of easy to see or not as easy to capture, not as easy to sort of document, uh, is that the next um, you know is that the next venue for for HR technology to to capture something like that, right? That's that's beyond even personality traits, right? Well, you you know the 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 reality is. If it's easy to understand and it's easy to document, then is heading in that direction. And if it's mysterious and it's uh, the short-term production of great value from small bits of decision-making, then, then automation isn't really headed in that direction. Right? Automation, automation takes specifics and makes them general. And the kinds of the kinds of people that we were talking about at Mindemic Labs um, are very unique in the things that they do. Interesting. Well, it sounds like a fun week, definitely. Of course, now throughout this week, it's been a busy week here on the HR technology front. So, you, so I'm sure there was a lot of chit chatting about that as well while you were in New York. 
there was, there was. I, I spent I spent time with about a dozen startups, and things are cooking. Things are cooking. The investors have poured a lot of money in, and then they're starting to go, okay, where's my return? And the industry's hopping. The New York New York seems to really get a lot of work done when it's cold and it doesn't make any sense to go out for lunch. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I can understand that, believe me. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. So what's in the mailbag? What's in the mailbag? Well, with the with the busy week, like you said, investors and mergers and acquisitions, lots of stuff going on this week. So probably the biggest one, the one that everybody's been talking about, is ADP acquiring work market um, to uh, extend their uh, HCM uh, contingent workforce um, uh, tools. And so we'll talk a little bit about that today. I think it's, it's, it's definitely an important space that's changing right now, The whether or not you call it workforce management or scheduling or um, job matching, those type of things. Um, we're also, um, this week, um, Maestro Health was acquired by the European insurance giant AXA. Um, this, is, this is sort of a first in the market, or at least one of the bigger firsts, um, where we have a, a European healthcare organization that is trying to get into the U.S. market. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, there's also um, Hire, um, H-Y-R. Um, they're a small organization out of Toronto. Um, I had heard a little bit about them when I went up there for the IRAM conference last year. Um, they uh, were very, very new on the scene, but they raised $1.6 million in seed funding, uh, but they are also a workforce management tool, but for, and again, for the gig economy. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about what's happening there in that sort of short-term work environment. Um, Shiftboard, another workforce management application, secured 11.5 million Series A funding, um, uh, which is the second round because uh, they also had some seed money that came the previous year. This is an, another organization that, that deals with workforce management and staffing needs in the hourly workforce space. Um, and so, obviously, workforce management, hot topic this week. Um, we're also seeing that um, in Japan, Smart HR raised $13.3 million. Um, this was interesting uh, not only because of the, the money that they raised, but also because of the fact that this was um, raised through a startup model that was a little bit different, uh, which allowed them to not have to spend so much time going around um, doing all the pitches that you normally would have to do for funding. Um, and then finally, if we have time, not like there's not a ton of other things to talk about, um, Facebook rolled out uh, the fact that they're going to be uh, putting out in the next uh, few months a global privacy settings hub due to the GDPR settings, due to the GDPR requirements that are coming in place. Um, so they're, they're facing this head on. We've been talking a lot about GDPR, and so that there's um, time for that. And then also, um, for those who may not be aware, um, the LRP organization, uh, those that run the HR Technology Conference that most of us go to in uh, the fall and usually in Las Vegas, um, that uh, they just purchased a, the HRM Asia event. So, uh, so lots of moving and shaking going on in there. So busy week, John. Very busy week. So, what do you think about the ADP deal? I mean, uh, this is this is a new one. ADP acquiring um, Work Market to extend their workforce management capabilities, but in contingent workers. Do you, did this surprise you when when you heard this one? Well, if I was ADP, I would be deeply, deeply concerned about contingent workers. Deeply concerned about contingent workers. If the if the hype is 
true, and um, people are going off um, W-2s and on to W-9s, you know, and, and so, so getting um, contractor status, sort of, uh, then that's an assault on ADP's primary business. Mm-hmm. And if if ADP's primary business is under assault, they need to start thinking about how to serve this new and different market. So, so this makes this makes sense as an acquisition for ADP. I I wasn't surprised, and I, I sort of agree with you on this one. That, that I think this not only makes sense, but I think this is a very smart move for ADP right now. Um, <laughs> I I had have not briefed with Work Market, but I have met with them a couple times. Um, in the past, um, they they started about two, 2010 is, is when they were founded. They've they've been in the space, sort of talking about um, contingent workforce management for a while, trying to change the idea of how you found contingent workers and manage contingent workers, creating marketplace as as an idea. But I think you know they're not huge yet. I think somewhere someone and I could be wrong on this, but there's some the number of like 300,000 um, contractors is in their in their database. Um, but what I think is more interesting here is that um, in the SMB market, contingent workforce is generally where you also find a lot of your um, hires over a long period of time. So a lot of people will oftentimes bring people in for contingent uh, labor, and then they'll sort of bring them in eventually full-time as the work increases. And so I think this makes a lot of sense for paychecks on the small business side as well. Um, but what's really interesting here is they said that they're the only, I think the announcement said that ADP will be the only uh, contingent workforce management tool with a full HRM suite. Um, I think SAP might disagree with that a little bit. Uh, SAP has field class, and I'd say they're probably somewhat comparable, not exactly by any means, but the, the two are both focusing on the contingent workforce market. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see you know, how this takes off, how they do the integrations with this. I think it'll be similar to what we've seen with many of the other things that ADP has done where they will create sort of a front-end integration versus a back-end integration in many cases. But um, it's, it's, I think the gig economy is getting a lot of attention. It is. It is. Wasn't work market primarily um, oriented towards the financial industry in New York City? You know, it's been a while since I've agreed with them, but I know they were they were sort of focused in an area that was sort of very tightly contained. It, it, it wasn't huge. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, th- I do I, not have notes on them. It's been a while since I've talked to them. I think they worked the kinks out of the software in a single market, and the question will be, does it generalize out? And and the other question is, is this gig economy? I, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the note, and it says that Gartner says that by 2020. 60% of human resource leaders will use a unified talent strategy for employees and contractors. Yes. What? That's, that's, that's the most enormous. Uh, I, I don't know how you, how you, I'm looking for a word that's not bullshit. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'm just fumbling this for, I think I'm, I'm shy a cup of coffee. But the idea that 60% of HR departments are going to have an integrated strategy for contractors and employees is nonsense. Well, I would agree with that. I think right now most of most of the organizations that we survey and the survey basically say they keep this conversation separate still. Um, about 60% of them keep their contingent workforce at some level in their HR technology environments, but that doesn't mean the same department's handling them, right? 
Yeah, so. yeah, because because 1099 relationships are not um, burdened with all of the benefits and stuff, and so so you have to be. It's intelligent management to keep some separation between those things. Because well, and there's some the result of integrating them is that is that um, your prices go up. Yeah, and there, and there are some regulations too around how much how much you have them integrated, how much training or anything else you offer them, how much you direct their work right turns them into full time employees as well. So people are very careful about what they do with them inside their systems, and not all the right. systems have figured out how to handle that. Yeah, yeah, yeah this so is an interesting base. But our data shows that about 24% of organizations are tracking and managing their contingent workforce right now, are aware of what they have. Um, that, that I think, is a little bit low, to be honest, but that's at least what the data says. I think there are a lot more organizations that have contingent workforces that they track and utilize, um, but a lot of times, or that they utilize but don't track, and that's, I think, the bigger issue is how many people are in your company working that you don't even know are working contingently, right? Yep, yep, and now we're going to be buried in data about it. Let's see if we can manage it. Um, <laughs> and then, so so you know something about this. I don't know anything about either Maestro Health or AXA, but, but, but Maestro Health was acquired by AXA, and it looks like this big European company is trying to – big European health insurance company? Yeah, yeah, they're 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 an insurance provider, right, on the global front, which is different in internationally than it is obviously in the U.S. So I haven't gotten enough. I, I actually have a call into the people to see sort of I get a better understanding of, of sort of how that's working, right? Because in outside the U.S., there is insurance still offered at multiple levels. So so even though it's it's um, even though it is state-funded, insurance companies still manage it, and there is sort of um, what we consider executive levels or extra levels, like glove levels, that you can purchase on top of whatever the government provides. So there is an interesting sort of differentiation, I guess I would say, in, in what they offer in sort of healthcare and insurance. Uh, this is also an organization, I think, that's, that's doing um, some other financial steps. AXA is a very large organization. Um, so I, I have to get some more details on this. But what I can say is that Maestro, which I haven't had an opportunity to, to review a couple times, you know, they're one of the organizations that has done a lot in the ACA space. So they do a lot of the ACA tracking. Uh, they were very big in ACA management. Um, and so that seems like an interesting um, organization to also be part of the uh, of an international company right now. Um, so, uh, and depending on whether or not the affordable health care will continue to go on, um, that may be part of, of, of the, the strategy right now to diversify what Maestro is doing. So... Cool, cool. Um, so next up is AXA acquires Maestro Health. Well, no, I think we could jump out. I, I had two two on that one, but next one is Higher Rises. This the Higher H Y R. I'm not sure that I'm saying it correctly. It's H Y R, and they raised 1.6 million for um, retailers to basically a good way to explain what this solution does, though, is that they fill the spaces when someone calls off. So if you're in a retail or a uh, restaurant environment, they basically have a solution that will show you all the people who are qualified to work in your organization, but who may not be a current employee who could fill a position. 
So and they said most of the time this is for full, for employees who already have full-time jobs but want to pick up extra work. Um, so this would be, you know, you have someone call off sick or you have, you know, a shift gap that you just can't fill any other way. You can use this software and this application to find someone to fill at that moment. So, again, another sort of workforce management scheduling, you know, labor uh, um, application. Um, it's This is early day funding for them. Um, but I, this one caught my eye because I think this is interesting. Um, you know, there is some concern, well, will this have an impact on full-time employees? But, you know, they're saying that, no, this does not. This, this basically just fills a need for the gap issue. And they say many of the people then are oftentimes looked at as later on full-time employees down the road. Um, so it's a way to get a chance to see um, people that you may not have oper- previously been able to see. So I don't know, John. I mean, more more sort of tracking and, and scheduling tools than we've seen in a while are getting funding right now. Well, it looks like the uh, um, workforce management category is getting an expansion. This is an interest of yours. Can you can you just take a moment and define workforce management? Well, and I think it depends on who you ask, but at least the way I define it, the way we define it here, is research, and and I think you know it depends, you know, sort of a broad look at it. Um, it is sort of the time tracking technology, the tools that are used to sort of punch or track time. Um, there's also the scheduling technology, usually to schedule um, what times people will work, what locations, what projects they might be working. So it does get quite broad there. You also have absence and leave generally, and there's also usually some sort of labor scheduling technology that's involved in here. I think the big thing is that a lot of people generally think of it as mostly an hourly workforce conversation, but when you look at things like project scheduling and when you look at things like skill analysis and mapping to work and to um, various things that you're doing within an organization at a broad level, it overlaps pretty dramatically with what's going on in the talent management space as well as the recruiting space. Um, and so for me, it's 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 a central component that most organizations oftentimes don't spend enough time thinking about. It's seen as an operation tool many times versus an HR tool, which is it has more data than most of our HR systems do. It seems to me that that workforce management is poised to be an alternative to recruiting as the way that people get in and out of companies. Does that make sense to you? If you look at it this way, right? I mean, if you're looking at it as a as a scheduling tool that you where you can see skill sets, and I and I and all and I'm thinking more about having an open spot and a, someone who has a skill that I can map to it and slotting them in, um, particularly for internal or very large internal organizations that could fill many of their positions right now that they fill through recruiting, but by internal um, uh, talent swapping. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's 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 it's. I always used to look at them like two sides of the same coin, right? Uh, recruiting was looking at externally. You had to get skills. You had to get capabilities. Internally, you actually knew what work people were doing, and you actually knew what skills they had, and you knew when they were available um, through your workforce management application. So, do you think um, we're going to know more about people's skills or less about people's skills as things move forward? It seems to me that that what makes somebody sort of immune from automation is that they're doing things that are at the edges and it's hard to proceduralize it. If the work is more able to be proceduralized, then you can stick automation on it. And so so it seems to me that we'll have 
more people who have less understood skills rather than the opposite. Well, and I think this this is going to, you know, the I've been in this space for a long time talking about skill competency management. Um, one of the very first projects I ever did in a corporate environment was a competency model mapping project, right? Um, and from my perspective, you know, we oftentimes look at skills and competencies and capabilities from a very narrow window. Um, and I and I and I think you're right if you think about sort of uh, repeatable, automated. Uh, Tech or uh, skill sets and capabilities that that can be automated, um, those will be the things that sort of will eventually go away. But but the more complex skill sets, the more um, uh, cognitive capabilities that end up um, you know sort of leading to broader um, mixes of of work within organizations. Those I think are things that can be tracked and can be captured, but we have to come up with sort of new definitions and new ways of thinking about them. I know that sounds a little bit generic there, but but my sense is is that that we're right now, um, for the people who work in that kind of way right now, we're just letting them sort of do their thing. But if there was some sort of a way to capture all the things we did in a day or a year, those people could take a look at all the work they're doing and maybe optimize their work a little bit. And that's a, that's a real opportunity for someone who's doing a job that maybe includes 20, 30, 50 different things in a day, right? Which is the thing right now that we don't capture, we don't track. Yeah, I I I, I hear you, but it seems like what what those people do these these people used to be called firefighters, right? That um, um, the people in the organization who do different things all the time. Um, they they end up being assigned to the latest crisis and and are good at solving problems in the latest crisis and and every company has people like this that they rely on to solve the problems that are not predictable and and that makes me wonder whether or not it's it's going to be productive to try to forecast that work of course you of course you'd love to have it forecast and of course there are probably repeatable patterns in the crises that companies have but forecasting the fact that the that the company is undercapitalized is um well maybe not so interesting um (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, maybe maybe it's better in a world where people can't explain what's wrong. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> well, that that that. Well, I, well, we'll put that in your hashtag this week. Better in a world where you can't explain what's wrong. <laughs> um, you know, and I get what you're saying. I mean, com- the, the idea of sort of, of of sort of having things mapped out, the idea of trying to sort of predict everything gets gets very you know and we've said this before and there's a lot of articles that prove this that that you know the minute you think you've got it right is the minute then then you've got it wrong because you're not learning anymore from from what you're doing um i think this is going to be very similar oh that's to, nice that's actually nicely said the minute yeah. that you think you understand it all is the moment that you stop learning and that's the moment that you're most vulnerable exactly. that's exactly yeah. right that's exactly yeah. right that's that's very smart stacy but but I think this but I think this gets down to the fact that 
that doesn't mean you ever stop trying to learn, right? And and I think to me this process is much less about trying to get to a perfect state and much more about always trying to optimize. And that sounds a bit um, scary, but that's how learning happens, right? Every time we, 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 we learn something new, we're adding to it, we're, we're continuously thinking about the next step, we're continuously thinking about how to improve it. And I think every job has the opportunity to think about how can I – make this job more efficient so I can do things that are more interesting. Um, and I think we have the opportunity to do that a lot uh, more quickly in the coming days. Um, and, it, and it seems very scary right now because people can, can quickly think that this is about taking a job, when in reality what it should be doing is helping people think about how it can help them do the things that are more important. Um, this is very similar to what's happening in the healthcare space right now. Well, it's going to be amazing to see how this unfolds. So what's up next? This will be our la- what's the last thing in the pile? So let's say, so, you know, we've mentioned a couple other organizations that have gotten uh, investments, but I think we should spend a little bit of time talking about Facebook, if we can, John. So um, Facebook Roll is rolling out a global privacy setting hub. So um, Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, um, basically said that uh, major privacy changes are coming to the platform later this year. Um, it's going to prepare to comply with the European Union's incoming data protection regulation. Um, it, basically, they said this event at, at their Brussels yesterday, that they're going to roll out a center where all your privacy settings can be seen in one place, which, first of all, the question is why don't they have that already? But that's another question. Um, and they said their focus is on making privacy easier. Now, this particular article and some other people that I have talked with on the Facebook conversation have basically pushed back and said, yeah, Facebook says that. But, you know, they were also the ones in 2009 who put out new privacy settings that basically automatically sort of when you when you posted something said that even if you had marked that you wanted everything private, it kept asking if you wanted to put it out public to everybody, right? And it would automatically defer to that unless you changed it. And so Facebook's been known for sort of asking you but not asking you is a good way to put it, right? You know, putting it in front of you, but if you're not paying attention, then you automatically swiped on through your stuff was out in the public because for them, the more stuff that's public, the more conversations people are having and basically the more opportunities they have to uh, get data from you. So I guess my question, John, you know, you've been studying the GDPR stuff for a while. We know a lot of the HR systems are working on this as well. Um, So this seems like Facebook's taking this really, really seriously. Um, Do you think this is is a sign that that almost all the uh, big commercial uh, systems are going to take this seriously? Well, if you're Facebook or Google, um, um, GDPR is like having a target painted on your back. You know, you know that the, the, the European Union is not going to be able to cause GDPR to be adopted globally unless they deliver punishing enforcement right away. And, and so, and so. So the big guys know that they're going to get hit, right? Netflix, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook. Uh, they know that some of them are going to get hit with huge fines and that there will be, there will be people, smaller companies down the, down the tiers of influence who get hit with enforcement actions early on because 
the the reason for GDPR is that is is exactly that American companies didn't pay attention to the last privacy regulations that the EU issued, and so so GDPR is stronger, it's more specific, and it's got a bigger chunk of enforcement muscle, and they're going to go after it. So this looks to me like the beginnings of the defense that Facebook is going to raise when they get fined. When they get fined, yeah. And and in here it says that um, the under the GDPR, and we've mentioned this before, that the penalties can scale as large as 4% of a company's global turnover, and that's somewhere in the range of $1 billion, they say, for Facebook, which which obviously is a huge amount of money. But if we think about what's going on in the HR space, that could be very, very big for the HR organizations uh, who have technologies. But the bigger issue isn't even the technology companies. I think the technology companies are, are, are facing this very similar to what we're seeing here at Facebook. The bigger issues are the corporations who don't know all where all their employees' data is at right now. Um, that's the thing I haven't heard as much conversation about. I've heard a lot of conversation from the tech companies saying, I'm going to give you a button or a tool to use. But I haven't heard as many companies talking about, like very large companies talking about the fact that they're going to have to figure out how to go into every one of their systems and databases and homegrown applications and find people's information. Have, have you talked to, to corporations who are, who are talking about this at this point, John? There's, in general, there's there's a, um, a growing understanding that getting the data under control is a survival issue. That there's a privacy component to it isn't as broadly understood. Um, uh, but but that's going to change. I, I think the story this year, uh, what we'll be talking about next year at this time, is the astonishing rise of data startups uh, and data startup acquisition things because GDPR drives people to do to do things they'd never imagined before, including getting their data clean and organized enough so that you can actually apply um, the AI techniques to it. Yeah, yeah, interesting. You know, I just had a, I had a journalist interviewing me yesterday about the HR help desk market, and he said, "What do you think is driving it?" And I said, "I think the the need to to it, you know HR help desk and the technology around it is one of those tools where you see people aggregating uh, employee information so they can have it all in a single location. Not that that's going to be the only tool, but we're definitely seeing some of this pulled uh, from this direction. So it'll be interesting to watch. Well, John, we have whipped through another thirty minutes. Had a good conversation about workforce management and many other things. Um, but boy, it's starting off uh, with a bang this year. L- lots of stuff going on. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next week. Yeah, thanks for doing this again, Stacy, and thanks everybody for listening in. You have been listening to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacy Harris and John Sumpter. I hope you have a great week, and we will see you back here next week. Bye bye now. 